0: I'm a big believer in hey, let's us regulate versus being told what to do because I think we're better off as an industry to self-regulate uh, than have some 800-year-old gray-haired guy telling me what to do, or, or worse even, ten different gray-haired guys from ten different nations all coming up with bizarre analog regular regulatory like GDPR in the in the payments industry and some of these European co- compliance things. Total training. Cash flow. Cash flow.
1: Did you clear your cash flow? We talked the other day and one of the things that I loved, you know, the, the quote you said was, uh, you know, people are always chasing the new shiny industries, but what they should be doing is going and disrupting the old fucked up industries. So I love that as a theme for uh, for this episode. And, uh, you know, just intro for you, you're uh, Gary Cardone, you've got uh background in fintech. Uh, I think you were, you know, you told me you were doing some uh, energy trading uh, in the early part of your career, uh, founded Chargebacks 911, which is a SaaS company helping e-commerce businesses fight chargebacks. And uh, I think you're doing some stuff, you know, angel investing or some kind of investing in crypto, uh, you know, platform companies now. So I'm really interested to dive into all that and just, you know, hear more about where you see the the fintech and crypto industry going from here.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. And I appreciate, Brian, you doing this. Uh... I think guys like you and, and others that do a really good job that bring on logical people, it's really helpful to the industry. Um, I actually think what you're doing is going to massively disrupt the education system because we're beginning to learn how we can use these virtual tools, for lack of a better word, or the ability for you and I to compress a uh, geography like what have we done here we've compressed geography you're in philadelphia philadelphia i'm in saint pete and we're having a conversation that you know i would have to travel a long way have a meal with you do do all that so this is becoming better um and who would have imagined back to your question who would have imagined that this would have been happening in 1990 (laughs) <laughs> or that you could carry a million photographs and music on a small thing that weighs less than a pound in your pocket. Uh, you would have said that I was crazy. In fact, most people told Enron they were crazy. When they started talking about fiber trading in, you know, 10-minute segments, everybody thought that was absolutely mind-boggling crazy. I I build the case. They were absolutely right, but they were 20 years early.
1: And yeah, they were trying to do Netflix back when uh, Blockbuster was still the king. But uh, yeah. Enron also, uh, you know, got a little over their handlebars, I think, on, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> running a, a real company. You think so?
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I used to compete very uh, aggressively with Enron and had a lot of respect for him. Uh, but they're, they're literally, they would have 10 staff member to my one. I used to play poker with them and they'd show up seven guys would show up at my house from Enron. I'm like, here we are again, eight man table. And there's seven Enron guys. Uh, yeah. I started, I started seeding it with some of my commo- real commodity trading guys. It were just animals and and the game kind of busted up. They, the Enron guys didn't like that, but I learned a lot from those guys. Uh, one of the, Great quotes that I learned from a guy named Greg Whaley, who was ex West Point president of Enron, legitimate guy. I mean, uh, the stuff that happened had nothing to do with him, but Jeff Skillings, um, who was the architect of most of this stuff, asked Greg one day, he said, Hey, how do we become a $76 billion company or $75 billion company? And Greg says, I, I think we need to make $75 billion. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so here we are today, 2023, learning that, you know, you probably need to make some money uh, to to build these companies. And I think a lot of people, what we're going through right now, not just in crypto, but the whole universe, is a lot of business models are coming under question, including some of the companies you just spoke of. You know, the Netflix of the world, I think they're all beginning to look at themselves and go, what now?
1: Now that we've I mean, disrupted- that's- they I own. think that's true, but uh I just heard, I saw a headline last night for deal. I don't know if you know the company D-E-E-L. Uh they're yes. uh, they're like a payments and HR platform for international teams. And they so their revenue is 295 million, nothing to sneeze at. That's a pretty awesome uh you know revenue considering they were founded in 2018. Uh but their uh, you know, their valuation, the headline was the $12 billion valuation, which is still a 30x multiple. Uh, after this whole like the last two quarters, you know we're now in Q1 of 2023, and obviously 2022 was a you know a little bit of a uh, you know bleed out for a lot of SaaS businesses. So it's still amazing that there's 30 times multiples out there. Yeah,
0: well, there's a lot of money still out there. There's a lot of money parked on the sidelines, um, and I think that there's also I, I don't know the metrics on that particular company Um, there's a lot of payment companies that need to do something now they either need to change their entire culture i mean you got to remember the payments industry is about 70 years old and swift the international settlements platform is 68 or 70 years old i mean you know people because i'm in this particular industry with a Chargebacks 9 and one they, they're like, hey, you're a little rough on the payment guys. I, I'm not being rough on the payment guys. I, I think these are awesome companies. But when you're 70 years old, like history sh- shows everyone these cycles have a way of changing leaderships over 100-year cycles. I mean, it, it it you just don't stay the lead quarterback for 100 years or the lead greatest football team or the greatest tennis player or the greatest anything, look at uh, Walmart. I mean, Walmart almost lost everything to a a startup called Amazon. And now the question is, would that have happened in a real interest rate market or did that only occur? Netflix, could Netflix actually create its business model today in a six to eight percent interest rate market? That's a really good question. I I actually think the best companies that are built are being built today because I, I was born in 1958. It was the largest population of babies of any year ever. In the middle of a recession, 18 years later, when I'm leaving school, it was the biggest outflow of babies who are now moving into the employment market. So there were more people looking for jobs by massive factors, and if you grew up then, you learned how to get a job. I learned how to get a job. I I I have literally gone to people and said, "I'll work for free, no problem." In 2008, I went to ArcLight Capital. The whole world was leaving Wall Street, getting fired. I got a job in 2008 Um, and flew up there, met the owner, and said, "Look, I'll work for free. If you don't like what I do." shoot me in the head in three months. And, uh, and we ended up, I ended up working with them for two two or three years. Didn't particularly like that work because I like kind of owning a project and, and like, I don't want to use somebody's money to invest in it. And then, okay, somebody else runs it. I actually like getting my hands dirty. So this is an awesome uh, juncture that we're at that we can look at all the problems. I don't tend to do that. I tend to look at these, Anomalies like SBF and Celsius and Galaxy. And this is normal. This is what happens in evolving markets. People like Enron blow up. The, all the natural gas and all the electricity kept flowing. Like nothing happened, OK? Really, if we really look at it, these companies just got th- th- their, their business models blew up in their face. They didn't have a business model. They had a thieving model. And they're gone. And guess what? The energy business is still alive and well. The Bitcoin industry, no matter how many people go out of business, will be fine and well, uh, because the basic construct makes a lot of sense. Whether these other coins make it or not, uh, the lack of education for most of these investors, that really needs to get dealt with in a serious way. And I think that's why I love the kind of stuff guys like you are doing because you could educate employees. Hey, nobody's paying 10% when the fed's paying zero. Okay, without you taking massive, massive risk, it's not feasible that a company like Celsius can pay you 10% and the fed is giving zero. Okay, like it just doesn't make any sense. So that's down to people going, okay, either they're just really dumb, Ignorant. I think that's really the case—the ignorance, or they're just extremely greedy.
1: Well, it's it's that it's exactly that. History repeats itself over and over. I mean, you can go all the way back. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily exactly like an Enron or uh, or SBF situation, but all the way back to like I think it was eighteen hundreds with the Rothschild, uh, you know, family. They had the, they basically built the largest horse network in the world. Mostly, it was over in Europe back then, so they could move messages that you know there's no internet there's no phones or faxes or any you know telegraphs back then so that you had to move information on horse and they would move information from city to city and you know if there was a war being fought in you know say like uh, Israel whatever that way you know the, the Bethlehem let's say there's a war being fought in Bethlehem or somewhere you know in in the Middle East they get a horse back to London or Paris before you know before the 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 own govern before the government gets the horse back so they know the war is won or lost before the rest of the civilization there knows so they can trade on that information and basically they built a foreign exchange network to trade on information because their network their horse network their information network was faster than anybody else right and it got to the point they had no accounting system i was reading about this the other day they had no accounting system so they had no clue where their money was and they would go like they would like basically run out of money in different cities because they didn't know where the money was at any given time because they're moving it back and forth physically on horses.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like our government's right. They're just not doing the horses. (laughs) They're they're just, Hey, I just sent you a trillion. Okay. Trust
1: me. (laughs) And it's just a database just updating a couple numbers, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's always funny to me because people talk about, Hey, when, you know, see CDBCs and, and all the digital stuff, I'm like, all of your stuff is already
1: digitized.
0: Like, don't, don't sit here and listen to these people like you're not already trading digital. Most everything you do is already digital. Very few people have any money in the market.
1: I forget what it was, but I read something like there's only a trillion USD uh, in paper money.
0: Yeah, I I, have, I don't know what that number is, but it is a limited supply of paper.
1: It's like in this low single digit percents of like total liquid money,
0: yeah, yeah, I don't understand why more people don't carry cash it, it's It's mind-boggling to me that um, I was on a podcast with Brad Lee recently and and he talks about going to the ATM. I'm like, dude what, well, why would you go to an ATM and pay? I mean, you're a rich guy, you pay three and a half percent. He's like, well, I just get a lot of it. You know, because it's limited, it's capped out. I'm like, it's still a fee. What, what, what? Why are you scared to put ten thousand dollars in in your pocket? It doesn't weigh anything. And I, yeah, I, think, I
1: mean, it's it's weird. Like, I don't I don't see the point necessarily in carrying cash because it's like, you know, people say, oh, I need cash on hand, but you know, if the bank goes belly up, then the cash is worthless too. It's not, you know, it's well, the, ca- the cash in your
0: pocket would be worth a lot. You think so? Oh, if if you have cash in your pocket, I'll, I'll tell you an interesting story. I was in Amsterdam at a, at a uh, payments show and there was a whole contingent that said, look, we want to do uh, some guys going to travel from London to Amsterdam with Bitcoin only. Some guys going to do cash. Some guys going to do credit cards, you know, and they were going to have a race about who could get to Amsterdam first. I thought it was kind of a cheeky, weird test because. You're comparing apples and oranges. What I did was um, at two o'clock in the morning after a trade show finished, all the bars released, Amsterdam had uh, terminated all Uber and Lyft drivers. There was a Guns N' Roses uh, show that was expelling thousands of people. Here we are, two o'clock in the morning. Most people are a little, you know, had, had a drink or two. I'm walking with some women back to the hotel five miles, can't get a taxi, okay? And we got one guy going, here's my Bitcoin. One guy, here's my credit card. Well, I pulled out a smashing, beautiful collection of $100 notes. I was the only one who got a taxi, okay? Because they saw, oh, I'm not gonna get any charge, but this guy in a credit card guy, this guy in a Bitcoin guy, this guy is a cash guy. Okay, And I, and I hear I, you,
1: but uh, on the, flip side the only got picked up. <laughs> I, I hear you on the flip side of that, though. If if the if the banks go belly up, then the government has to step in and try to ensure the deposits, and then that's going to fail pretty quickly if multiple banks are going belly up. The whole system collapses, and then cash is worth nothing at that point.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. If it all happened instantaneously, I agree with you. I'm just saying that that money in your pocket, if you can grab money um because i'm not a big believer in this uh bitcoin takes over all the currency on the planet i i don't believe in defi is perfect solution for everything i can build a case there's a lot of reasons to use centralized uh, finance i think the way this works out is you live in both worlds you 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 can't just go okay like i'm going to defi everything's defi i mean quite frankly The credit card industry is very defied in reality, and it's too fractured, too many people touching too many things. Um, So there are like disputes, in my opinion, disputes on credit cards should be centralized activity. Like, like, you know, an agnostic. Now, now the key is agnostic centralized. so I, I I just think that the, this world is going to evolve into a full digital world. It's not going to just tomorrow morning. We're going to destroy the U.S. dollar. There's too many moving pieces. I mean, the disruption there. I just listened to something from BZ, I, I think, at Binance. Like, you know, there's disruption, and then there's total disruption. But total disruption is not real. It, 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 it's... Too destabilizing to a marketplace that's really developed over three or four hundred years.
1: Um, yeah, it would be like the transition from cash, you know, at one point everything was all cash and checks to digital banking systems and credit, eventually credit cards. Like that transition from cash to credit cards, you know, that took decades, multiple decades that, to that oh,
0: that's exactly right. The adoption for that was very challenging. Um, and it'll be the same a similar challenge that we're dealing with today. Um, and the, the pitch is exactly the same. Hey, this is going to be more efficient. You're going to have less problems. You're going to have less NSF. You're going to have less bankruptcies. You're going to have less people care, touching things. Um, I I don't I, I haven't yet to see any of that happen. I, I have seen a lot more transactions everywhere in both ecospheres. Um, so I, 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 I think the digital space would do well to quit ditching about the old space. And it would do better to figure out, because we have our own problems, right? A lot of them. Uh, I think it's better off, like, figuring out how to help that industry and and not belittle it. Uh, And if you are going to belittle it, you might want to know the actual stats of what is it you're trying to fix, right? Right. Things like why why didn't the Bitcoin industry ever talk about settlements on credit cards being not an hour, but hundred and eighty days? I mean, you better I think off Bitcoin though was
1: founded on like this fear of like an apocalyptic apocalyptic fear of you know banks collapsing, governments collapsing. How do you transact? Like that was kind of the the founding principle for Bitcoin, and you know now and then it kind of turned into uh, you know it, at first it was. T- Tech, technological early adopter kind of thing and then it's eventually turned into like a money grab for you know everybody and their their mother who's thinking it's you know the next thing to invest in and you know remortgage their house and put it all in bitcoin and so it's it's got had an interesting wave it's almost like uh what's that book um with the the cycles of adoption uh uh oh man I'm totally blanking uh crossing the uh the chasm uh it's Rubicon? like is it- yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's like crossing the chasm where you have the, the the very early major, the very early uh, adopters. adopters and then yeah, the early the adopters. and
0: yeah, most innovators um, are in, in what I call in, innovator, innovator investors, like the people buying Tesla early on. We need those people, right? You you look at them and go, well, wow, they're just rich. It's like no, no, you need these people because they're having to buy a really small supply. The prices. Not conducive to wholesale type pricing. Uh, the first iPhone I bought was probably more expensive than they are today in relative terms. I mean, just, you know, the, the, I don't mind investing in in new ideas, um, but I need to understand I'm probably paying too much. The, the, uh, I, I, like in that thesis, right, I think it's in investing in Bitcoin today at 23,000 is a safer bet than buying it at 300 eight years ago.
1: I could see. Yeah. Because the chances of it failing at 300 are a lot higher than the chances of it failing at this point. Yeah. Hindsight's 2020, I mean, 20. obviously, if you could you know, use a time machine uh, and go back uh, and buy it at 300, do it all day long.
0: But, but even if you look at it that, from that perspective, I still think it was more risky than uh, you didn't have the adoption. Uh, you have some, I was in wall, I was in New York this past week and, I see more interest from more mature people in this space today than I've ever seen in my life. I, I walked away from uh, three days of being in, in New York being like, whoa, this space is getting ready to get very serious.
1: What, uh, what specifically stood out to you?
0: the amount of intellectual capital that's being invested by companies i mean people normally talk about oh look goldman sachs just put 10 billion dollars to work before they did that they put a whole team of people on a the floor they had the expense of that floor they had the expense of the staff and these are not cheap people um they're young people they're big teams of people and they're looking at every piece of the entire process the entire industry uh they're they're I think that the, there's much smarter people coming to the game with deep, deep resources. And some of that resource is an understanding of how markets work. And all markets evolve exactly the same way. It doesn't matter if it's natural gas, crude oil, copper, Tesla, introducing um, electric cars. You know, his main goal isn't to make money and be a car company. It's like, hey, I want the EV world to actually come about. And so people, you found people who are willing to invest $60,000 in a car to help that that thesis out. What's the difference in Bitcoin? Bitcoin does have a beautiful thesis, right? It's a, if you haven't read the white paper, everybody should. Just because it's called a white paper doesn't mean it's a doctorate from a, you know, that you can't understand it. Um, it's a beautiful thesis that solves a whole set of problems. And that the legacy analog world doesn't solve and will never solve uh, because we're moving away from an analog world. Um, you wouldn't put a horse and buggy in the streets of London and say, hey, go compete with Uber. You know, I don't see any eight-track tapes back there on your on your desk where you're listening to, you know, Eagle on an eight-track tape. I mean. The odds of you listening to a cassette tape is next to zero and your children will never see one. They'll, they'll be like, oh, wow, that was in the 50s.
1: Oh, records are coming back in style these days. <laughs> not on scale, right? So like, because you just
0: can't fit enough music on that big I I can't travel with the, the record uh, in my car. So I, I got, I got 30,000 uh, pieces of music on my phone. Like you would have said that was impossible. Ten years ago, right? That I'm paying what ten bucks a month. So I think the world has already become extremely digitized, and to think that our financial markets aren't going to also be digitized um, and more efficient. I mean, can anybody say that the financial markets are really hyper efficient?
1: Well, it's amazing they're they're running on uh, you know like they are digitized pretty much, but they're running on these. You know, 20, 30 year old systems, sometimes 40-year-old systems. Uh, I don't know if you know SEI. Uh yeah. they're uh they're like the company that builds a lot of the back end banking software that banks use. I think they I think they have a pretty large market share of the global bank uh industry. Uh they're based right here in, in Philly. They're in Collegeville, Pennsylvania, right outside of Philly. Uh massive campus. I've been in, in their office before. Uh beautiful art collection in there, by the way. It's pretty wild. But uh, it's it's amazing that uh, you know their software is like 30 years old, and some of the, some of the stuff they've deployed is so old and they just can't update it because the risk, uh, you know the the, the amount of uh, manpower and risk and you know, compliance hoops you have to jump through, it's just a safer, easier bet just to keep what you have today. And that only goes so long. I mean, you look at the Southwest Airlines thing that happened a few weeks ago. Totally, totally. Uh, it was because their, their 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 routing system was phone calls. They had like a centralized office you had to call into to route uh, planes and the yeah. you know, pilots and the, the uh, uh what do you call them the uh, pilots and the, the stewardess uh the people on the planes would have to call in to figure out all right what airport do i go to what plane am i on what cities am i going to or do i go after that and then the phone system went down so no one knew where to go or where they should be crazy yeah i i look i, I
0: have stories of i think most people don't understand that the example that you gave of SEI, that is the financial industry i mean like large banks have relationships with other large banks and they're actually using the backbone of the other bank. Um, I think it was first uh, Bank of America, I probably shouldn't even mention names, but two very large banks basically uh, combined their activities, took them 10 years to put the activities together. Uh, Five years, no, 10 years ago, they said, look, this is no longer working. The construct by which we created this partnership 30 years ago, neither one of us can actually deal with the the marketplace we're dealing with. So let's unwind this relationship. It took 10 years.
1: That seems fast.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, what for a bank? <laughs> what opportunities did they miss? Right.
1: Usually, I mean, it's 10 years just to talk about it, and then you know, exactly. then you do something really slow after that.
0: <laughs> yeah. and, and, and that's why companies like Node 40 pop up right? Because this recent company I invested in, or Chargebacks 911 for that matter. I mean, this business was around for 50 years. CB911 shows up, looks at Chargebacks and says, this is ridiculous. And that viewpoint came from my commodity experience where there aren't any refunds and disputes. They're like, no, I just sold you $10 million worth of nat gas, dude. You're long now. I'm short. And you figure it out. I'll buy it back from you for $9 million. Um, but but those markets work really, really well. The 19, the 20th century models are all breaking apart. There, there's too many friction problems. The customer doesn't like it. The banks don't like it. And uh, so whether it's uh, Bitcoin or some other solution, other solutions are going to fill these gaps. And that's what great companies like Chargebacks 911, no, 40, the Googles of the World. These companies filled up a big gap, saw a big gap, took a big bet, um, and served that market. So that's why I like these disruption periods, because they create opportunities for smart people to look at the gaps and 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 bring a real service in.
1: Yeah, we're definitely in a disruption period, no doubt. The next few years are going to be that. Uh... Talk to me about your background. I want to hear more, uh, you know, starting with the energy or the, uh, you know, I think you said energy and, and, uh, commodities trading and then getting into, uh, CB nine one one, And then, you know, now you're in the crypto space with node 40. And I think you mentioned some other things on our call the other day. Talk to me about that evolution for, for yourself.
0: Yeah. Uh, well studied economics and marketing and a small college in Louisiana, um, Got a job in the oil and gas business right after I finished school. I was not clear on what I was gonna do. I hear these people that know exactly what they were gonna do. I didn't know what I was gonna do. I was happy to get a job. Um, Remember, there were more people looking for jobs than ever before. Talked myself into going to work for a company called United Gas Pipeline, which was a 36 inch pipeline from Laredo, Texas to Houston. One single
1: in, pipeline that was the whole business.
0: Thirty. Oh well, it was a multitude of pipelines, but across Texas. But I was placed in Corpus Christi with a guy named Ron, who was 27. I was 21, and uh, our job was to fill a 36-inch pipeline, monster pipeline. Okay, I think it was two BC up a day, two billion cubic feet a day. It was completely empty, and so I was able to go work for a company, had to learn how to read big, fat contracts, I mean, like hundreds and hundreds of pages that were built 30 years prior. All these constructs were built 30 years prior. Natural gas was, was priced on CPI inflation indexes, so the price always went up. I showed up to the market, it was $7.35, and it didn't matter if you were 12 feet away from the pipeline or 12 miles from the pipeline, the price was seven thirty-five, And I was 21 years old, I looked at Ron one day, and imagine a pipeline sitting here completely empty. And right next door was Amoco was drilling or mobile, Mobil, Conoco was drilling a pipeline. I mean, dr- drilling a hole in the ground. I mean, like within 12 feet, you could literally throw a rock at it. And uh, I, I went to my boss and said, look, why don't we offer this guy $7 instead of seven thirty-five? He's 12 feet from us. He's not going to build a pipeline 30 miles to the next guy. And my boss said, uh, we don't trade on nickels and dimes. And I was like, whoa, you want me to buy two BCF a day? To, and, and you're willing to leave two, three, four, five, 10 cents on the table? And that was really mind boggling to me. It never left my mind. Woo, really, you guys don't trade on the pennies. Huh? And I realized, oh, y'all aren't really competitors. You're actually a club. Everybody in the energy business is a club. You're not really competing with each other. And that was validated by the golf games with the competitors. And, you know, it's like, oh, this isn't really a competitive environment. I thought coming out of school, the world was like a baseball team. Like, hey, there's winners and losers and that's it. And so that was my first education in real business was, oh, the game's not really played the way it's that I thought. Um, there was a company called Natural Gas Clearinghouse that was formed in 1986, and I love the name of the company. I was working for a co- company called XYZ Energy Company, and I think it was Seagull Energy or something. I'm like, what do they do? Like, they were all producer. Um, but Natural Gas Clearinghouse told me, oh, wow, they want to clear natural gas. That like I can understand that. I got a job with them uh smartest people I'd ever met in my life I would have literally gone to work for free I was making 70 grand a year working for this big well-known company it was a resume maker and I was like I can't wait to get out of here the people I didn't like the people I thought they didn't know what they were doing Uh, a lot of management constraints um these young guys that were all 27 years old um were trying to shake up a whole market. So I effectively went to work for a startup at 27, almost got fired two or three times just because I couldn't figure out how to jump on their their train. Their train would change, man. They're going south and then the wind starts blowing. They're going north because it's a small company, right? They're trying to like, they're chasing safe margins. We built from scratch, seriously, this is a crazy story, a Fortune 30 company. And I remember when we almost couldn't pay the bills. I remember when ExxonMobil, Conoco, Shell, Amico all told me, hey, you should come work for us. This is not a living. You're never going to make a living doing this. They tried to scare me. The markets don't work this way. Hospitals are going to go dark. People are going to die. I mean, the stuff we heard from those that were already in the club about disrupting any part of that construct that had been put in place was going to destroy the Americas, right? It was going to, people were going to die in the streets. None of that happened. Um, In three years after joining there, uh, I realized that I wasn't probably going to ever be able to move up in the company because of the age of all the senior people. And I asked to uh, go to London to see if I could poke around and Look at building a business. Uh, a, a a British firm had bought a part of our company. Uh, they laughed at me. We were, I think, we were three hundred people at the time, which I joined at twelve. So I'm like, hey, this is already too big. Um, and long story, I ended up going to London on a six month assignment, um, and came back ten years later. Had built two. Monster businesses, man. I mean, it was unbelievable. I, I, I was able to uh, because I didn't have anyone there to support me. I didn't have any bosses. I had to learn how to like work with regulators, uh, get known by the marketplace, and not be hated.
1: That was and, fun, probably right. <laughs> oh, it was!
0: It was a blast. It was! It was! Uh, it was an absolute blast. Because I was given a blank canvas, and I had bosses who didn't. Uh, get fixated on what that canvas ended up looking like as long as it uh, showed, hey, this is a business and it's growing. That business, we didn't do anything for two years. Everyone laughed at me because we were oversold as intellectual capital. But within two years, we've made $120 million with 12 people.
1: Wow. What year
0: uh, was that? 1995.
1: Wow. Okay. I had been there since '92. That was like. So those are the days you were uh, coming up neck and neck with Enron. Then kind of Uh, uh, there.
0: Enron was a block from me. They had six thousand employees. They were spending a million sterling a day just in overhead. I was literally one block down the street from. I had six hundred people by the time I was done. But I'd also bought all the storage, natural gas storage. In the United Kingdom, like 97% of all the storage got bought by me over a lunch table at the Lanesboro Hotel, uh, a man that I had met with twice a year, like religion, like every, twice a year, I would meet with him. His name is Niall. And 10, 10 of those meetings would result in nothing. I, I, I'm always flabbergasted by by these Chief operating officers at these companies go, Hey, you went to a trade show. What's the return on investment? <laughs> um, there isn't one, dude. Okay. There isn't a return on investment at a convention. There's not a return on investment with Nile 10 lunches like in 10 months. There's there's not a return on investment until there is. And that return was monster. It was massive. I had to have those 10 meetings with him to develop. A trust from him that when I said I could do something, he was sure I could do it.
1: Plus, you don't know like you plant one seed creates one relationship. That relationship might do business a year or two later, and then that might that relationship might turn into three more, and then those three more each turn into five more, and then it just you know it's it's impossible to measure. You can't measure the effects of that.
0: It's not possible. So I don't you know. So anyway, that was a great journey, Um, but it really taught me a lot about fundamentals and i had to learn what is what does it cost an oil producer to drill a hole in the ground what does it cost for the guy to build a pipe and where does it you know all the way through the entire food chain when you do that this is before derivatives okay so derivative markets futures options and, and those type paper contracts only show up after the physical market is handled and that's what bitcoin's going through right now hey what's the physical market like right um so anyway 19, 2002 comes around. My boss said we were going to make a billion dollars in cash the next year. I sold all my stock within 30 minutes. I'd never sold a drop of stock. And because of my the way I look at markets, I looked at him, even though I loved him, admired him, I realized that he had drank too much of his own Kool-Aid. It was impossible for us to make a billion dollars. We were a marked to market company. And for a company that can manufacture earnings through mark to market, it's impossible
1: to move to to cash. Well, that's exactly what Enron did, and then they just kind of uh we all, you know, did. We all it did. close and to the sun, and you know,
0: well, the accounting, the, like the regulators and the accounting
1: companies, let us do it. So um, I actually had uh, I had a, a friend of mine. He was like episode six or seven. He was a partner at Anderson. Uh, didn't he? Didn't have anything to do with Enron. He was on the the IT. No,
0: What's that? None of them did. They're all gone, right?
1: (laughs) He was over on the, well, Anderson's gone completely, but uh, they were like, that was when it was the big five back then. But uh, he was, uh, he was on the IT uh, services (laughs) side of the business. So not, not involved in Enron, but like he was sharing the story of how quickly and how just suddenly the entire, this massive multi-billion dollar consulting company, you know, auditing tax, you know, IT services company just collapsed almost like you know it was, it was weeks it was it just happened so fast in in the rubble of the Enron situation uh and it's amazing that uh yeah just the aftermath of all that was just so amazing how uh how detrimental it was to so many businesses yeah
0: yeah so my timing was really good I think timing is really important I think I sold everything in 01 they they got wiped out late late 01
1: Uh, (laughs) you got it you're friends with marty mcfly or something (laughs) uh, no
0: no i yeah my timing was but i've always had good timing man but you know i trust my instincts um and, and 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 so uh i came back to the united states took six or seven years off i had this compelling push to stay in business because of what people would think. And I'm like, this is crazy. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not gonna spend the next 20 years of my life doing energy, I'm bored with it. So I took off enough time to prove, could a human being take time off, six, seven, eight years, completely contrary to what everyone tells you, and then create a new career if you want to, based on what you wanna do. Uh, Came back to the States, moved to LA, uh, about, 2005 ran into a person who knew about the credit card industry and uh they dragged me into that industry i put, played around with it put some money to work for two years uh being a retailer selling uh anything online just to see hey w- what happens when you sell something online can you scale wow, what
1: were you selling back then
0: it it i I wasn't really selling anything other than, hey, I want to put money to work to see how the payment system works, right? Whether it was water or whatever, you can sell anything, t-shirts or... Um, and then we realized the chargebacks were a massive problem. And and I think we hired five different experts to help us spend $7 million on fraud solutions. Our fraud didn't go away. Our problem so the,
1: the chargebacks for you. Are those like a return when a customer buys a pair of jeans and says, That's Hey, this they... not fit? Or is this more like someone, you know, buy, you know, I've seen a lot. We, we do e commerce at Kuro and I've seen, uh, you know, companies go and, you know, we have a couple of jewelry stores as clients. So constantly they deal with this where someone will go in and buy like a $5,000 engagement ring and pay with the credit card. And then, you know, sure enough, like five, seven days later, the charges decline because it's a, you know, stolen card and someone catches it on their account. And uh, so that happens all the time. So you have to, like, these stores have to know how to deal with that and deal with the fraud. There's, you know, some solutions coming out for that. But uh, how do how do you guys like? What do you guys handle? Do you handle the fraud side of it or the return side or both?
0: Well, the 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 so the re, the refund is a refund, but refunds sometimes look like chargebacks. Chargeback is a, a a bad event. Okay, you as the merchant pay a fine for getting the chargeback. Um, it's a fee. Whether you win the chargeback or not, you still pay the fine, and you carry a bruise on your P and L in the eyes of your acquiring bank, Visa, Mastercard, right? So they don't like them. They think it's a, a way to see fraudulent behavior. I totally disagree with this. Chargebacks were designed in 50 years ago to get you comfortable with using your credit card in a store because before then, you used cash or checks. And the merchant had about an 8% lossage from NSF and money laundering and stuff like that. The credit card was designed to get rid of cash, sound familiar? Designed to get rid of cash and to alleviate all the problems related to cash and checks, uh, which, by the way, is worse today than it was for the problem that we're trying to solve. You now have a 1% or 2% chargeback rate. There's half a billion chargeback events, single chargeback events a year in Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and Discover's Universe. And that is crazy, okay? Half a trillion dollars in losses. 60,000 people employed in the chargeback dispute industry, of which I think there are 60,000 amateurs doing this, all with a conflicted bias interest and they only see their own chargebacks you know billy bob bank only sees his own chargebacks netflix only sees his own chargebacks how does he know what normal is we see them all airlines hotels motels high risk low risk pornography gaming gambling whatever all chargebacks should be the same so we just saw this massive problem um have built a unbelievable business, have no debt, no equity outside equity, uh, and we built the business based on old fundamentals. Take a customer in, provide really good value to them, and make a profit on it. every customer we make a profit on. but we provide tremendous value. Spent the last ten or twelve years really blowing that business up about five years four or five years ago, I started getting bored because I do. Like because I know where the game ends now. I know exactly how this is. I, I would predict that uh, chargebacks end up being resolved in a centralized uh space. I don't have the patience and the time to like keep beating the drum. Um there's 350 people there. It's run by somebody that does a really good job. So I I uh I start looking at other stuff and I studied the whole crypto universe for about maybe 500 hours, 700 hours, and uh, ran into Node 40 in November, December. I see Node 40 as a compliance, regulatory, tax, accounting, tracing, and tracking technology to deal with digital assets. And whether it's crypto or Solana or NFTs uh, or anything that is going to be digitized, we need to be able to account for them. And it Note40 looks to me identical to Chargebacks 911 in its construct, the only difference is you are mandated to do your accounting and taxes this is no longer an option that the guy in Puerto Rico is going to like, eh, I'm not doing it this year, which by the way, that's a massive mistake. A guy that's making a 20% savings on his tax exposure should probably be spending a lot more money than he is on professional accounting because when he comes to hand those, those assets over to his son or his daughter and he's dead, who's going to show the now, human being that's exposed to the government for taxation, what dad actually did for mm-hmm. the past 10 years? I've never heard
1: anyone talk about that before.
0: Dude, this is a monster risk, okay? Note 40 alone, for me, could just be sold to people that are selling, that, that are inheriting, and are divorcing. Like, wow. one business model, one service, Note 40 is very, very important for it.
1: Have you heard of uh, TRM Labs? Yeah, yeah. So uh, my uh, one of one of my good friends, uh, his son is the founder, uh, and they they've raised a lot of money. I think they've raised over 100 million at this point. But uh, are they a competitor of Node 40, or what are they? Uh, what are they doing no, now? actually, it, I think an introduction by you would be good. I don't think there's any
0: uh, friction whatsoever. I th- think actually there's some real synergy. Uh, they're like a chain analysis or an elliptic.
1: Yeah, they do a forensics. They they actually started out as analytics for ICOs and then the ICO thing kind of like went away and uh, then they pivoted to, uh, I think this was after they raised their A rounds, they pivoted to uh, the forensics and they've yeah. built a pretty amazing business from what I can see on, on the forensics.
0: Yeah, the forensic piece on this is, that is the interesting piece to me because one, it doesn't matter whether it's. Bitcoin's at a dollar or $10 million. Like, these are the tools that are required for this industry to mature. And, 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 you know, I'm a big believer in, hey, let's us regulate versus being told what to do, because I think we're better off as an industry to self-regulate uh, than have some 800-year-old gray hair guy telling me what to do. or Or worse even, 10 different gray haired guys from 10 different nations, all coming up with bizarre analog regul regulatory like GDPR in the in the payments industry and some of these European co- compliance things. Total training.
1: Well, that's what's about to happen though. Uh what's uh what's the um Coinbase, Brian? Uh Brian, yeah, Rose. Yeah, yeah he Brian, so-
0: Rose.
1: yeah. He- I just heard a podcast with him the other day. He I think it was All In podcast with uh, you know, the the VC guys. Uh, they're um he's he's talking with the regulators now. I guess he's trying to kind of influence the regulations. And uh, you know, he's not he's probably saying a little bit a little bit more diplomatically than the way you just said it, but uh, I'm sure he's uh probably feeling that frustration. You know, it goes back to like, you know, what were those congressional hearings when uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg was on the stand and they're trying to, you know, blame all these things on him and sure he's got a big company and, you know, he's any, any company that size might blur the lines a little bit, but, uh, you know, for him to, uh, you know, try to explain simple things about how Facebook works, like the Cambridge Analytica thing, it, it just was totally over their heads. You could tell they had no clue based on the questions they're asking. They had no clue about how a, a large, uh, social platform company like that works. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a fairly complicated uh, example you use because I think that that uh, I'm not sure anybody would have ever understood his answers. There was something naughty going on there, right? Um, I mean, it, I'm flabbergasted. There's still an operating business based on that, but this is the world we live in now. Just pay a hundred million, a billion, and keep on going.
1: Well, same thing happened. You know, Google they went on the stand, and Bezos I think had to, and you know, like once hey, hey, I guess.
0: You know, they all do now. I, I actually have come to believe that it's a uh, badge of honor to get to get a regulatory uh slap on the hands like, okay, I got your attention. I'm big enough now to get your attention. I, I mean, really, it's it's become a revenue uh stream. I I've, there, you know, there's a PL there, US government fees and fines. Um, so I think once you start making money that way, it's hard to not continue wanting to make money that way.
1: Yeah, well, uh, maybe maybe one day it'll be a Node 40 or uh, or a CB 911 congressional hearing. Well, blo- blockchain, <laughs>
0: right? Blockchain. Man. Just let's just be transparent. Um, <laughs> I think the point I'm trying to make, though, is that the market, uh, although everybody keeps saying that it's not globalizing, and I do believe that it has grossly fractured, and um, we'll end up with centers, which is awesome from my background and experience that we end up with. Trading centers and inside those trading centers, we're going to have separate currencies. The U.S. government's going to hate this uh, because they're going to lose their petrodollar construct. But they've lost.
1: You also can't track it either. It's you know you can't you can't centralize it and figure out you know you know there's some tools like that's what TRM Labs does for the government. It helps them track crypto, but uh, you know it's still harder. You can't you can't go to a couple banks and say hey we need a backdoor. Yeah, no,
0: I, I think it is, It hard is the, probably the right word, but you're not gonna use uh, 20th century tools to do it. And, and, and so I think like, we don't find it hard. Like if I had your crypto position, I, I would literally give you a report probably in 30 minutes. It would take your accounting firm two weeks to run through the same math. Uh, I think once the tool is built for purpose, and I think TRM will tell you this too, once it's built for purpose, uh, he he had to pivot, right? Well, he pivoted because he saw the value in what he had. I love guys that pivot. That tells me that they don't get locked into what their first business model was. Uh, I knew our first business model was not uh, retail. I was literally using the retail as a casino to go, okay, how does this, how does $99 work versus 39? Do you have more problems, less problems? How do you get a client to stay on? Um, And then what do refunds cost? I mean, you just, I learned everything about who all is making money in the whole ecosphere. It's so complicated, the payments industry. It is like very, very fractured. Um, But I don't think that necessarily tracking, tracing and accounting, for digital assets is complicated. It's it's extremely complicated if you're trying to drill a hole in the ground and you're using a spoon, right? That, that and that's kind of what, you know, you're not gonna use uh, real estate accounting tools to track digital. Um, It's just a very unique method uh, because these are fractured units of an asset um,
1: I think and, there's well, certain small teams, though, in, in the government that are really sophisticated. And then the government as a whole is extremely inefficient. And, uh, you know, it's to get large scale, the the kind of scalability you need to track all of this across a global network. Uh, it's. I, I think they're going to struggle with it.
0: Well, it's amazing what 80 billion dollars will solve. You know, I think, I think, I don't think the government will solve it. I think the, the, those that are serving the, the, the marketplace will solve it. And who are they? They're the advisory firms, the accounting firms, the consulting firms. There's 13,000 accounting firms in the United States. Alone.
1: It'll be a new breed. Like it'll, like TRMs, it'll be a new breed. Like have you seen, uh, Andrew, uh, Palmer Lucky's new company? No. So he's taken on, so Palmer Lucky was the founder of Oculus. Yeah. Sold it to Facebook. Now he's building Android, which is making basically like, you know, war technology, uh, like drone strike systems and, you know, missile technologies and autonomous helicopters and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and they, I think they just won a $5 billion contract, I'm pretty sure, with the, it's wow. it was in the billions for sure, yeah. but uh, I think yeah. it was five uh, with the um, DOD interesting pretty wild yeah 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 just coming out of
0: gaming and stuff like that See, 31 yeah, years real, old real world applications here real world applications
1: yeah so the uh the boeings and the lockheed martins and you know there's a new uh there's a new you know set of uh you know startups building these government technologies and you know another one is uh what's um uh palantir yeah another one yeah, yeah.
0: Now, I think when you start looking at this information like Node 40 right now, we deal with institutional grade type, you know, somebody with more than half a million dollars in digital assets or larger, high frequency traders, private offices, venture capital funds. Um, The the amount of interest from analog accounting firms, 13,000 employing 2 million people. Uh, once you have to check the box on your tax thing and say, hey, I, I own a digital asset, the accounting firm is going to be required to create a cost base and a financial track record for that asset, whether you sell or not. Like people don't understand. Hey, you still have to track for this every year. Don't 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 wake up in 10 years and go, hey, what the hell did I do? And you're not going to remember. I mean, this is really complicated. Well, you the, do this
1: they, with, uh, you do this with like, you know, stock portfolios now. Like they just, they send you the documents though, every year they still they'll send you, you know, how much you sold. I, I think you only report what you realize though. You don't report all your positions on the tax return, but. yeah. This, but, this this... Is,
0: but this is the problem. Okay. Like I'm a large enough player that I can't, uh, as much as I like Brian, I can't as a fiduciary, put all my coins in one, in one place. It's just too much exposure for me. It'd be like me keeping all my banking with Truist, right? I, I have to spread it around a little bit, um, if for no other reasons, insurance purposes. Um, so what, what am I gonna do? Get eight reports from eight different companies on my crypto position? What happens when I move one position from Coinbase to Ledger? They're gonna provide me the same service Like this needs to be done. This is another great example of a centralized activity being able to bring in all of my exchanges and wallets and being able to produce an agnostic report on all of that activity. Because, good example, I gave an accountant all my transactions, including a transfer from Coinbase to Coinbase Pro. And they said to the U.S. government that I owed $500,000 in taxes. Okay, They they don't understand. They thought that transfer was a liquidation event. So not only do we have to educate you, the user, on the mistakes you're making, and you're making mistakes. I've made every one of them, you can imagine. Um, The more details I have and the more I can look at my position, really understand my position. Like, next next podcast guy you have, ask him, hey, what's your cost base? in your ledger wallet? What's your cost base on ether in your Coinbase? He will not be able to answer the question.
1: Yeah, you have and to track it on division. the spreadsheet because you can't, you don't get that information from the exchange. Yeah, well, do a deal with me
0: and you'll get it every day delivered to your freaking phone. Like I don't sounds understand like, why it's not on your phone.
1: That's what you're doing at node 40 though. It sounds pretty yeah. interesting. Huh? That's right, yeah. Yeah, that's and, awesome. And,
0: and that's what the TRMs will do, right? Because once you have this data, you begin looking at the value of the data. Like my professionals around me, I'm in the middle of a divorce. Having the node 40 data was like, I'm not the weak person in the room. All the professionals are the weak people because they don't know what they don't know. To be able to give them a report that's three pages instead of you know 16 different printouts from eight different exchanges. Oh, it made it so helpful everyone saw me being transparent, you couldn't argue with it, um, literally diffused all of their uh, fodder they were going to throw at the judge, right, going, ah, this guy's a crazy guy, Well, didn't look to the judge like I was crazy, because I had all my stuff, Oof, here you go, no problem, probably saved me $100,000 in legal fees now, Right, just being pencil whipped by the lawyers and the accountants, and hey, we need to look at this a little deeper. And so you're just we're just talking about bringing 21st century tools into the into the the proper marketplace.
1: Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm checking out the site now, and it's uh, interesting.
0: uh, One of the analogies I use that I think you'll appreciate is if I'm driving my Volkswagen at 10 miles an hour, I can text, I can listen to music, and I can talk to my kids all at the same time, right? If I'm driving a Lamborghini at 130 miles an hour, try texting. Okay? And why am I saying it this way? Imagine if your, your screen on your Lamborghini, you're doing 180 miles an hour, 150 whatever, and you don't see any displays your windshield no you no longer see any of that either like you're going to get in a wreck and i see people doing this with digital assets they have a half a million dollar position or they have a position that they think in 10 years is going to be half a million dollars and they don't invest in the right tools to fully understand their business i i look at people like that and go okay you're an amateur what's the word for it you're you're uh not, not a, a diva. It's it's a certain phrase for somebody that plays in a market, but they're not really experts. Um, I think you know you can actually identify who the real players are by the tools that they're surrounding themselves with. So that, that's that's why I get excited about the business because it's bringing real value uh, to family offices, venture capital firms, risk management teams. Half our customers don't even use this for accounting. They're using us for risk management. Half, uh, a good 90% of the people that are using TRM should also be using NodeVARP. So there's even crossover here that we haven't begun to, for lack of a better word, exploit, or really uh, fully understand. So I think you're gonna see a lot of players start acquiring businesses like this or building these type of services to do a couple of things. One, serve its clients who, where I come from, they are my masters. My clients are my masters, right? But I think also if I'm a Binance or a Coinbase or a KPMG or anybody that's in this space in a big way, to be able to bring compliant tools to the marketplace and show the regulator, you're doing absolutely everything you can to make all the... Proper tools available for your investors,
1: how can that be a bad thing? I was just about to ask you, why Why do you think Coinbase or Binance hasn't built something like this into their platform? Uh, I think Coinbase has. I think there's been a lot of deals already done.
0: Uh, whether those deals make a thousand percent, I think a lot of deals were done when the market was extremely toppy and maybe people didn't think through some of the machinations but i think a number of these companies have made investments uh in this space and i think you know you didn't have a lot of the political carnage until recently where everyone now is like okay is anyone doing anything like you know when you find out a large private equity firm did three days of due diligence on you know sam bankman freed and they lost half a billion dollars kind of like wow what the heck's going
1: on here so uh i think they weren't doing due diligence that was the thing yeah they they, were just, there's no board there's they no were board
0: rushing to they were rushing the market right no i'm talking about the investors right the guys that went into this deal um
1: so i i i but same I thing they didn't they didn't, They never set up a board like normally a vc would say you have to set up a board you know we need board seats we need you know govern governance inside the company and you know we'll, you'll do an audit you know once a year, once a quarter, and report the the audit results. and none of that was done. The investors just wrote you know, blind I've, checks. I've,
0: I've never had an investment in Facebook because I didn't like his governance structure. I, you know, the one lesson I've learned in my life is governance
1: is absolutely key. Especially in crypto right now, too. especially uh, in every business. Like
0: I can give you horror stories, right Governance is really,
1: really important. It's
0: not so much important when the business is growing. It gets important when the business actually is grown or growing much better. And like on the node 40 thing, I was like, hey, I wanted to know from the founders. Uh, like they wanted me because of my commercial strategic capability and understanding of how to work inside markets. Um, I mean, I probably, you know, was able to acquire that company. I think I can acquire other companies like this or invest in them. At a discount to private equity in VC because I'm helping them. The first thing I did with them was, okay, let's focus on everything that we're not gonna do in the future. I li- literally they had 5,000 clients that said, get rid of it. Like they weren't paying enough for the value that we bring. I see that founders do this a lot. They undervalue their products to the marketplace and some overvalue it, but. The big problem is they usually undervalue in all types of ways too, not just pricing, but maybe the terms of the deal. Um, so, what I liked about the Note Forty guys is that if you know, I, I want to know, hey, if you make a hundred, if we can sell this business for a hundred million dollars, are you going to be happy? You know, I needed to understand when do they become a uh, okay? I'm switched off. I'm no longer interested, and people do get that way. Um, Cause I didn't, I wasn't really interested in getting into something that was going to be a small deal.
1: Yeah. You uh, see it much bigger than that. I can tell, I mean, a hundred million dollars is not a small transaction, but, uh, you know, there's like the type of people that want to get out at that life-changing event. And then there's people, you know, like the Jeff Bezos is of the world that want to build, you know, the Elon Musks of the world that just, they just do it because they need to build something that just is so massive and impactful. It's like a, It's like a disease in your brain to just have to keep going.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, you know, the cool thing is that when 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 if if you're lucky enough to have one of those life changing events. um, What I don't want to do is have two guys that are technologists. We get a bid for 50 million dollars and they're like, dude, we're happy. Let's get the fuck out of here. Right. Um, I just I didn't care what the answer was. I just wanted to know what the answer was. Mm. Um, and so I think that, that I go back to governance because governance helps me go. Hey, okay, so that was your answer. Uh, my answer is I'm actually interested in really, really helping you guys. And so one, I'm going to have control over when we exit. And if you guys are comfortable with that, this is a match made in heaven. Uh, but what, what did it? What's the upside? Most people would look at the downside of that. I look at the upside and go, okay, here's two founders who are geeks. These are nerdy, nerdy geek guys. Um, Am I going to be able to help them focus on what they're great at? Or or are we going to still be having M&A discussions? Because if they're M&A experts, then I don't know what I'm showing up for. If they're commercial strategists, why did you bring me on? Like, uh, you know, my partner in cb 91 she is a great operator. Uh, But I'm the one with balls, man. I mean, I'm the one that says, hey, let's move to London for four years, move our kids, move everything and know that we're probably going to take a two or three million dollar top line revenue hit on a core business. Being a private company, I was like, let's go. If I had venture capital or PE money or public money, they'd be like, oh, my God, your earnings went down for a quarter. Who cares, dude? I'm the largest independent chargeback dispute platform in the world. And it's because we moved to London for four years. Like, it's not because we stayed in the United States all comfy dealing with our little merchants. Like, we stretched and we performed. So for me, um, I think you got to know, like, and the business is bigger than we thought it would be. So the problem is, you know, does the agenda change for the management team? so that's uh when you have governance and you have clarity on what you're trying to do it makes the shareholders happier it makes staff happier everybody understands where the train's going and if you need to uh change tracks uh that governance allows for you and i to make a decision hey whose decision is this which track are we getting on somebody has to make a decision right at some point so I, I i and a lot of these new companies they don't even consider this kind of stuff I, like i literally would not invest in facebook because i'm like mark zuckerberg no i'm not doing that I, I have other things i can invest in besides having one pump white kid pale face like come on man when did you become god i i like it's too big of a company for one person to be able to make a decision like that on
1: that is true yeah it's pretty wild that he's uh you know, I think that company will fail because of this.
0: I think colossal failure. I, I don't see how these businesses it, it it is illogical, okay, that that you would have someone so powerful at the board that they can do whatever. I, I don't think yeah, the
1: metaverse that. bet is interesting to me. I don't know where they're uh I don't know where they're going with that, but you know, I guess we'll find out. But see, this is the one-headed decision maker, right? Like, wow.
0: That was one guy going, we're going in the metaverse. We're going. Okay, dude. Like, see, uh, I, Enron made that same decision. Th- this sounds very film. The metaverse, metaverse isn't going to make any money for a long time.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? Not really. I mean, not lots of money. Um, I mean, we never, already it in the never metaverse? take off. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, that's the that's the crypto side of things. And I'm surprised you haven't asked about pricing and, and where the market's headed, but uh that's that's why I got involved in the node forty business. And, and when
1: you about, say pricing, you mean crypto pricing? Yeah, you know, market oh, yeah. prices. I don't need to ask happening? about that, man. You know, it's it's up and down every day, who cares, whatever. <laughs> I just exactly. go long on it, right? Yeah, that's but right. uh pricing though, I, I I was curious about node forty. I don't see a pricing page on on the site. Is this uh how, how do you guys you know, how do you sell it? Well,
0: if you're an individual user, um, get your accounting firm on on a call and let's talk to them. We really want to deal with your your professional um, and we'll bill him if If I'm a user, I ask all my accounting firms, hey, what solution are you using to do digital assets? That's an absolute essential question for you to start asking. You're
1: really selling this to the accounting firms then to deploy across all I'm their I'm
0: selling this to people like Goldman Sachs who want to deploy it throughout their ecosphere or a, a large accounting firm, um, whether it's an independent firm or you know some of these firms have 10,000 digital users. I mean, what are they doing? So that, that's the ideal scene for us because they already have distribution. Secondly, I don't want to be an accountant, okay? I am a d- big data company. I want to be able to provide the accounting companies who see your portfolio wholly. I don't see your portfolio. whole. I don't see what your real estate is. I don't see what your losses are on this other deal over here. Uh, but I'm able to give the node 40 data to my accounting firm and then they're able to look at my real estate, the stuff they understand and go, Hey, let's take losses now, right now on this stuff, right? Which is what Sailor did this year. Okay, Sailor, I'll never sell, I'll never sell. Well, he forgot to tell people, I'll never sell unless it really makes a lot of sense on tax purposes. Well, that's why he sold. Okay. He sold because he would have been stupid not to sell. The he needed data.
1: Well, and he buy it going. back after. He well, buy he it back it, a month later.
0: He bought it back. I I, I
1: just did the same thing this year with a bunch of uh, stocks I have sold them out in uh, December, buy them back in February. That's right. And and that is what you
0: should do. Uh, The question is that he didn't share with you is which coins do you pick to do that? If you don't have and I'm not pitching anything to anybody like I'll make a a wager to anybody. Ten thousand dollars that in an Excel spreadsheet, you cannot actually determine what your cost base is per lot of what. You should transfer. You know, I asked somebody a question one day. I said, hey, uh, I'm in a divorce and I'm a I'm a really nice human being. Okay, I have no interest in taking anything from my ex-wife or the kids. Or, like, I like I just don't believe in that. The question, though, is if I have a sixty nine thousand dollar coin and I have an eight thousand dollar coin, which one should I give her? Because the accounting and tax people and all the forensics and the you're devices. talking about
1: your cost basis, right? Not not your current price. Well, no, no.
0: What ex- what are the yeah, exactly?
1: I'm talking about the coins I bought in
0: 2016 and the coins I bought in 2022. Which ones did she
1: get? Does it matter? Which ones? Which they're both, ones they're I both the same now, right? Else? Huh? They're both the same now. Does it matter? No, they're not the
0: same. One's got a tax cost of 8000 and one's got a tax cost of 69
1: you you're right okay,
0: okay. so yeah. you would hey, you, you
1: uh would oh, you God. transfer the oh, coins God. to her or say that again would you transfer the coins to her or would you liquidate oh. to usd and then trans, you know do that well see okay
0: th- and that's probably the right answer but i don't want to liquidate why would you want to liquidate an eight thousand dollar coin because see i bought these for my children i didn't buy them for me and Monica to be able to buy cars with or planes. I bought them to give to the children. I have 600 AR-15s sitting in a storage facility one day. Guy looked at me and said, why would anybody need 600 AR-15s? I'm like, "Uh, dude, I bought them for 500 bucks each. Are you telling me in 100 years, they're not going to be worth, I have a $40,000 Thompson submachine gun. I think it's worth $200,000 one day. Like these are antiques at some point, right? Untouched, unboxed, pristine. Is it gonna go below 500 bucks? It's an inflation hedge for me. So so to me, the Bitcoin, that $8,000 coin, I'm gonna give that to Mia. And Mia optimizes her inheritance tax, uh, minimizes her inheritance tax exposure when she's 34. Okay. And when I gave it to her in the trust. Now, the problem is if she has no history of what, how these $8,000 coins got to her, the tax man is going to rip her off. That's his job. He's got a P&L. If I would have given her. They, this,
1: would they, how, how would they, if, if you don't have the history, the, I guess it's stored on the, on the chain. So the, so someone will be able to tell on the chain based on what it, what that coin was purchased for versus what it's worth today to be able to know what the tax liability is. But, uh, you're saying if she doesn't know what the what the cost basis is, how does she, you know, not get ripped off by the tax man? That's what you're saying.
0: Yes. I, I think if if I hand over $20 million position of crypto to a top 30 accounting firm and they saw Coinbase uh movement to Coinbase Pro and they said, Hey, that is a half a million dollar tax event. I'm pretty much sure they don't know what they're talking about. And I'm pretty sure that the tax man is going to look at this in 20 years. Okay, These 20 years from now, the U.S. government would be broke, completely, utterly broke. And, you know, you made a comment just a little while ago, all these companies getting FTC'd and this antitrust and that antitrust. This, this is a this is a money grab now. OK, so I think the government's. I mean, why do you buy Bitcoin? Uh, I'm worried about draconian governments. I'm worried about people taking my stuff. Okay, well, do you think the tax man's going to try and take it or not? If 35-year-old kid can't defend the position, and let's assume this is not a small position. By that time, there'll be years and years of Bitcoin acquired in various wallets all over the place, dude. Fucking, you know, shit's yeah. moved around. Different
1: cost basis is, and you're- know, you, you, you won't be able to do that on a spreadsheet, especially if you have any kind of sizable uh, no, chance. no chance. Okay. Yeah.
0: How, how does a high frequency trader account when he's doing a hundred million transactions?
1: It's all software.
0: A month. Okay. Well, it's it's not just all software. Some of this has to be done. Uh, I mean, it's just too big of a spreadsheet to make any meaning from, right? He yeah. needs a dashboard that he can keep drilling down into. That's what
1: I mean. It's like a software that's automated. It's not software that somebody's punching in data into manually. It's software that's tracking the activity. You know, it's out. It's the trades are algorithmic, and then the the reporting on the trades is you know handled through the algorithm. Yeah,
0: yeah, that, that's exactly right. I think what I was trying to say was that the same tool that you use for accounting cannot possibly be used for a high frequency player because the high frequency guy is not really using it for accounting. Well, he is using it for accounting. He's using it for risk management, a third party view, but he's not using it for tax, right? Um, He's probably also using it to make sure that whatever jurisdiction he's playing in, that he can have a third party say, Hey, this is what this cat did. Right. And there's value there saying, this is what I approve this guy's trades today. He did a bunch of trades on BTC and this is what it was priced at. He made 500 bucks. If you're doing weighted average costs like most people do, in in the scenario where you take a tax loss, uh, I'm going to suggest that you made the wrong decision because you wanted to maximize tax losses, but you used weighted average cost uh, basis. You should have sold your oldest coins then. You should have sold your most. Well, I think one, you talk to your accountant. Two, hey, what's the number I'm trying to hit? Oh, I'm trying to hit, I made $2 million. I want to minimize my tax exposure. That's how you do loss tax management, right? What is my number, Mr. Accountant? You have $2 million, $200,000 of income you need to displace. Okay, go find 200 grand, go search for it. Where's
1: You you, you have to like amortize that though over, uh, you can only take so much of a loss, right? And you have to amortize it over what? 10, 10 years or five I, years or something? I
0: think, I don't know specifically what the rules are on the amortization, but nonetheless, you're still trying to maximize. So, so, and you're trying to make the right decisions. And I, I don't think if you're uh, just keep putting coins into a bucket and they get commingled and you have this kind of volatility. Remember, we got like massive volatility, right? 8,000, like 17,000, 69, 4,000, 34,000. I mean, freaking my... A uh, sailor's sailor's net position is thirty-seven thousand uh, dollars. you know he's so far out of the money right now. I think that's an awesome price to buy this stuff at, right? So, um, which ones has he moved? does he move? Does he move the expense? Like it'd be really interesting to see what he did do and how he got there. So, Node Forty really is about making the user, without knowing how to do all of this, much more intelligent in their decision making and more importantly, to make the professionals around him intelligent. And that's where it all breaks down because um, the professional, it only has as much data as they have expertise on. And we have a brand new industry that's popped up here in the last really three or four years, right? Really three or four years, this thing's okay. Uh, just to the point where you're starting to get regulation. So this is a brand new market.
1: It's exciting times.
0: It is, dude. This is early, early times, okay? This is... uh, It's like
1: uh, mid-90s for the internet right now. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, I
0: totally agree with that. And and I go back to the Enron and the energy debacle. You know, people talk about 2008, uh, 2001. I I, I didn't see any commerce stuff. I didn't see any electricity stop prices might've been different for a few days, right? Uh, Extreme pricing happens. And when I love extreme pricing, I mean, if I would have been.
1: If anything, the electricity works better after Enron went under.
0: Oh, Oh, that market works. That market works very well. My point is uh,
1: they were doing the the blackouts in California though, to screw with the markets.
0: Well, they're gonna there's blackouts. There nobody's talking about the blackouts that are happening right now. They're, Enron's not anywhere
1: to be seen. Yeah.
0: There's blackouts in, in in California on a regular basis for a lot of weird reasons, weirder than Enron. At least you could understand what Enron was doing. <laughs> um but I you know I happen to believe in markets. And if you believe that capitalism is the best thing going, I think price um Somebody, you know, was belittling the other day that 20% of all Bitcoin's been lost. My answer to that is the reason 20% of Bitcoin has been lost, the proper value was not placed on Bitcoin. Okay. The only people that lost a bunch of coins were priced at 300 bucks, 200 bucks, a dollar. You know, I don't see Max Kaiser giving any of his BTC away today at 23,000. Okay, he was just giving it away at 100, which made a lot of sense, right? I know that hit that was a smart move, but I think when the right price is put on a commodity, people behave correctly. And I think gasoline prices in the United States are extremely low by double. Why? Because people go to the grocery store to buy a pack of cigarettes, man. If if gasoline was priced correctly, they would not do that. They'd go grocery shopping and do everything at one time. Right. You leave your your laptops on and all your computers on overnight. Electricity is priced poorly. If electricity was priced correctly, you'd turn everything off. Everything off. Like You turn it all off. It's too cheap. Therefore, we waste. There's enough power consumption in the United Kingdom that if all you did was take remove the plug from the the, uh, TV, one entire coal fired power station. Like, we have become such a spoiled nation, world of everything has to be instant on. Um, so I-, I think we're going to see a world through digitization actually price products correctly.